Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 237, Wally. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And a massive Happy New Year to you all. Welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener, thank you for being here. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year period. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and have you back for the history and legacy of Wally, the first episode of this podcast in 2024, and also kicking off animation season 2024. So before we get into all of that, I just want to say, as always, thank you so much for everyone who's listened to this podcast, but especially the most recent episodes during the festive season. Die Hard and Home Alone finished off Christmas 2023 on this podcast. I've had a bit of a break. I am back and I'm ready to kick off animation season a little bit later than planned, I'll admit. But I realised quite quickly that if I started last week, as in the previous week, I would have had maybe Christmas Day and Boxing Day off and that was it. So I decided to give myself a bit of an extended break over Christmas. And it was wonderful because I wasn't at my day job either. And I just had a really lovely time. And it's a time for family and friends. And while this podcast is incredibly important in my life, obviously real life has to always come first. So with all that out of the way, we're starting animation season. Now, if you don't know what animation season is, it's something that I've done for the last four years in January and February. And each year, I cover animated movies from a range of different studios, a range of different animation styles, because to me, animation is one of the most important mediums in cinema. It's highly underrated, and a lot of people just dismiss it as being, oh, it's just for kids. One of the things that I like to do with this podcast is, not only do I like to go into the history and legacy of all of these amazing movies, but also talk about why those movies are so special. And we're starting the season with an absolute doozy. And this is a regular request on this podcast as well. I've had people request this movie so often. It is a simple love story about a robot meeting a robot that just so happens to also cover environmental issues, corporate greed, consumerism, the upcoming apocalypse, and why we should never listen to billionaires. Here's the trailer for Wally. Seven hundred years into the future, mankind will leave our planet. Leaving Earth's cleanup in the hands of one incredible machine. His name is Wally. After all these years, he's developed one little glitch. A personality. He's extremely curious. And just a little bit lonely. But all that is about to change. Eee! 
Arrest that robot. become an uninhabitable wasteland with nothing able to grow. 700 years ago, the Megacorp, by and large, shipped all humans off the planet to bide their time until Earth was able to regenerate itself into an inhabitable planet. They also left Wallies, waste allocation load lifter Earth-class robots, on Earth to clean up and compact all the industrial waste. Only one Wally remains. And in order to survive emotionally, he uses whatever he can find as touchstones to pass life on Earth and ends up finding a small green plant. Wally befriends Eve, an extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator, a droid sent from the mothership Axiom as a sensor to gauge if life has regenerated on Earth. Not knowing about Eve's mission, Wally is surprised by Eve's interest in the plant. Wally, not wanting to lose his new friend, hitches a ride as a stowaway to the Axiom where Eve's directive takes her, but bringing back the plant has unintended consequences. Let's run through the cast. We have Ben Burt as Wally and Bo, Elissa Knight as Eve, Jeff Garlin as Captain B. McRae, McIntalk as Otto, John Ratzenberger as John, Kathy Jimmy as Mary, Sigourney Weaver as the Axiom Computer, and Fred Willard as Shelby Forthright. Michael Crawford and Marianne McAndrew appear in archival footage from Hello Dolly. Wally has a screenplay by Andrew Stanton and Jim Reardon, story by Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor, and was directed by Andrew Stanton. And I don't need to tell you what a huge shift in the animation industry Toy Story was. I already have, actually, in episode 50 of this podcast, which was such an incredibly long time ago. It would have been easy to write Toy Story off as Pixar's lightning in a bottle, the success of which as something they could never replicate again. And yet, the creative leads at Pixar weren't resting on their laurels, even during Toy Story's production. I've mentioned in previous episodes about a meeting in 1994 between Andrew Stanton, John Lasseter, Pete Doctor and Joe Ramft during production of Toy Story to gather ideas for the next Pixar feature. Conceived during that lunch were early stage talks for A Bug's Life, Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo, some of the cream of the crop that Pixar would ever release. And Andrew Stanton pitched an idea for a little robot left on Earth after all the humans had gone. And what if that little robot had more humanity than the actual human race? The idea stayed with Stanton for years and he often thought of that little robot. Something programmed to do the same thing over and over again for hundreds of years gradually developing personality, empathy and the ability to love, but being the last of his kind had made him lonely. He envisaged something along the lines of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Wars, Alien, Blade Runner or Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and was heavily influenced by the look of 70s science fiction for the eventual look of Wally. Even the Panavision 70mm cameras used on those 70s sci-fi classics were recreated in the software used to create Wally 
but I am getting ahead of myself, so let's just rewind. Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor developed the idea for two months in 1995, until Doctor left to work on Monsters, Inc. The working title of the movie was Trash Planet, and the plot resembled Robinson Crusoe and The Last Man on Earth. Once Doctor left to direct Monsters, Inc., Stanton and John Lasseter conceived a love story as the natural progression away from loneliness and isolation and the idea of Wally finding a single plant as the plot progressor because life finds a way. The idea for Wally went on a brief hiatus before Stanton returned to writing it again in 2002 during completion of Finding Nemo. Originally, the script was very different and involved an alien race, gelatinous blobs and a robot rebellion, culminating in a Planet of the Apes-style ending reveal of the humans being the aliens all along. The film would only officially go into production after Steve Jobs and John Lasseter viewed a story reel of the first 20 minutes. And telling a story without conventional dialogue was always going to be tricky. Right from the beginning, Stanton wanted to use old-fashioned music playing over the images of space, the past superimposed over the future. He at first wanted French 30s swing music, and then the triplets of Belleville came out. He didn't want anyone to think he was copying the triplets of Belleville, so he broadened his search to musical theatre, auditioning songs he knew from his time doing amateur musical theatre in high school, one of them being Hello Dolly, where he played Barnaby. The opening of Put On Your Sunday Clothes hooked him immediately. And when he realised the song was about two naive guys venturing into the big city from a small town with the idea to kiss a girl, he realised that was basically also Wally's story. And it just worked. He started exploring the musical, finding it only takes a moment to become the device by which Wally becomes interested in love and what love means, and also giving him a way to show his love for Eve, with a simple concept of holding hands being the universal symbol of connection. And let's be honest, no one puts Hello Dolly at the top of their letterbox lists, but the idea that this one single videotape that has survived 700 years would be the only tape that Wally finds elevated Hello Dolly from being a fairly unknown 1969 musical to most of the people who would watch Wally to becoming renowned as the musical within Wally. And this was one of the reasons why the musical's main star, Barbara Streisand, wasn't featured in the movie, as she herself is so recognisable and that could pull the viewer out of the story. Hello Dolly is now technically owned by Disney after their acquisition of 20th Century Fox, but back in the early 2000s it wasn't which meant Stanton having to acquire the rights to use the music and footage from Hello Dolly after joking about why could he not have taken inspiration from the literal hundreds of Disney musicals that already exist. And it wasn't easy to get these rights. Numerous negotiations between Pixar and Fox lawyers fell apart, but the CFO of Pixar had formerly worked at Fox and was still friendly with their old colleagues. Through this stroke of luck, Pixar were able to acquire the rights to use Hello Dolly, and I believe the CFO to be Anne Mather, based on the timelines, but the name of the CFO who cultivated the use of Hello Dolly has never actually been revealed. Andrew Stanton has always made it clear that Wally isn't out to make any political statements about environmental issues or climate change. To him, having all humanity leave on a galactic cruise liner while Wally and his fellow robots clean the planet was just a storytelling device. He always claims he didn't have an ecological message to put across, it just happens to support it. Wally was always meant to be a love story about the last robot on Earth and the design of that robot was everything. It was Luxo Junior, the Pixar short from 1986, directed by John Lasseter, that shaped the look of Wally. 
looks though Junior would become the official mascot of Pixar for good reason, that animation could create a desk lamp with personality, led to that becoming the first CGI film nominated for an Academy Award. Luxo Jr. was never designed to look like a character, it was just a desk lamp. But its design gave it character. You could look at that desk lamp and see a body and a head. Stanton wanted Wally to clearly be a robot, designed for his task of trash compacting, but with a design that you could project personality onto. And despite the similarities, there's no influence of Short Circuit's Johnny Five, or at least none that Stanton is willing to admit to. He knew Wally had to be a box as a basic start in order to compact rubbish into a cube, and he contemplated having a desk lamp as a head, as a nod to Luxo Jr., but at a baseball game, he was handed a pair of binoculars, and inspiration hit him. Not a ball, but the binoculars. They didn't hit him, but, you know, inspiration. Anyway, quote, I got handed these binoculars at a baseball game. I missed the entire inning. I just turned the thing around, I started staring at it, I started making it go sad and happy and then mad and then sad. I remember doing that as a kid with my dad's binoculars. I said, it's all there, there's no nose, there's no mouth, there's nothing. It's not trying to be a face, it just happens to ask that of me when I look at it. I said, that's it, I can't improve upon that, unquote. Stanton added a zoom lens because it made Wally more sympathetic and refused the idea of a nose and mouth and took further inspiration from Buster Keaton for his mannerisms and to add personality through silent physical comedy. The team at Pixar studied trash compactors and recycling centres, bomb disposal robots and watched recordings of the Mars rover and originally wanted the character to have elbows, but a machine designed to pull rubbish in wouldn't need them and the idea was quickly discarded. The robot needed to maintain the facade of being a robot and giving him too many movements would make him feel more human. I mean, despite that, Wally had 50 different controls for his head alone. Eve was always designed to be the antithesis to the design of Wally. Where Wally was a box, Eve was an egg, sleek, aerodynamic and modern, with eyes modelled on light bright toys and four other moving parts. But her eyes were only ever meant to be eyes. They didn't want to cheat and show love hearts and so her body was used to express emotion. But whereas Wally has spent hundreds of years reprogramming himself, Eve is a slave to her directive and has to learn to bypass it to save Wally through the power of love. But both Wally and Eve are clearly gender-coded as male and female respectively, and this was done on purpose. They wanted Eve to be feminine, to be elegant, graceful, serene, all the things women are, of course, present host included. Among the other prominent robot characters, like Auto, Mo, and the Reject Bots, the character design team devised a roster of robots and crowds comprising as many as 10,000 humans to occupy the Axiom. Using a number of distinct robot heads that could be coupled with various bodies and arms, a modular robot system was developed. Numerous robots were made, each painted a different colour and designed in some way, basically a Builderbot programme. They had a variety of treads and arms to pick from, to create various characters and silhouettes, you could mix and match between roughly 25 basic silhouettes and nearly 100 variations to give the impression that the world on the Axiom is more expansive than it actually is. Even the human's design is to elevate the love story. Humans have evolved from bipedal on Earth to living in space, restricted to hover chairs that follow a predetermined route. Again, something this movie comments on, programming and sticking to protocols isn't necessarily a good thing. 
But in doing so and living on the same foods, addicted to the latest colour craze or whatever by and large tells them they should be loving right now, they've become basically big babies with large frames, extended lifespans and start to lose bone structure. Stanton openly admits one of his influences for this was Aldous Huxley's beautiful dystopia Brave New World. Another was a NASA researcher he met while doing research, John Hicks. Hicks was researching long-term residency in space and how to simulate gravity correctly so humans don't start to lose bone and muscle mass due to disuse atrophy. If gravity isn't simulated correctly, it causes a form of osteoporosis that's irreversible. Considering Stanton originally made alien blobs, the humans he ended up with weren't all that removed. The human body has a way of evolving to suit its needs. It's called neoteny. It's how humans evolved to have shorter arms than other primates, flat faces and large heads. If you're not using your bones, the human body could evolve to have them smaller, weaker and ultimately waste away. The human characters were modelled on sea lions due to their blubbery bodies and copied the look of baby fat on babies to the adult human characters. And obviously, while the human characters do talk, the robots would have their own unique language. And there was really only one person who could create these voices. Multiple Oscar-winning sound designer Ben Burt. Now, you may not know who Ben Burt is, but let me tell you the stuff that he's done. He is the guy who created the voice of R2-D2, the breath of Darth Vader, the crack of Indiana Jones's whip, the hiss for Alien, and many, many other iconic sounds known to moviegoers everywhere, including popularising the Wilhelm scream. Producer Jim Morris had worked with Burt at Industrial Light and Magic for years and introduced him to Andrew Stanton, who pitched the idea for him to voice multiple characters, some voices synthetically, some a human voice manipulated, but at all times with a soul not just being a computer-generated voice, because the character of Auto would be a completely computer-generated voice from Macintalk. They needed the distinction between a character with personality and soul, with wants and needs, to one who just follows protocol and doesn't think for themselves. Burt was finishing work on Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith when he got the call for Wally, and despite promising his wife, no more robots, the law of working at and with Pixar was too great to resist. Burt wasn't just the voices, he was also the sound designer for Wally and supervising sound editor. He created a library of 2,400 files, the most he'd ever accumulated for any film up to that point. Production designer Ralph Eggleston drew inspiration for the look of Wally from NASA paintings from the 50s and 60s and original concept paintings for Disneyland's Tomorrowland by Disney Imagineers. Not so much on what the future is going to be like, but what it could be like. The biggest overall challenge out of the many on Wally was the production design, sets and environments, with all the detail a vast apocalyptic vision of Earth needs. They set out to make their version of Earth as realistic as possible, with a huge level of detail, creating nearly six miles worth of cityscape, including some of the most realistic looking environments the animation team at Pixar had ever created. They also wanted to use colour and lighting to highlight Wally's emotions and to help the audience connect with him. Act 1 is all about romantic and emotional lighting and Act 2 is very much about sterility, order and cleanliness to juxtapose the two worlds of Earth and the Axiom, whose design came from researching luxury cruise ships, including those operated by Disney. Field trips to Vegas also provided ideas for artificial luxury lighting. 
Cinematographer Roger Deakins and visual effects maestro Dennis Muren consulted on Wally for lighting and camera issues and visual effects and atmospheric energy, respectively. They wanted Wally to feel like a real film, filmed on real cameras with real visual effects. Their advice helped create the harsh earth landscape and using real world Panavision cameras to create artificial chromatic aberration, barrel distortion, and other imperfections to make the cinematography feel real. An imperfection really was the name of the game, with Wally having believable scuffs, items with rust and dirt, items with breaks and cracks, juxtaposed to the sterile white cleanliness of the Axiom with no dirt, very much no dirt. They used cutting edge lighting and camera technology to give the impression that a camera and lens were used to record the action. The widescreen aspect ratio and extremely shallow depth of field were used to give the cinematography a truly rich quality. In certain shots, you'll notice that the focus is on more textured layers of focus rather than the background, creating compositions that resemble watercolour. Additionally, a lot of handheld and steadicam shots were used, particularly in space, to give the impression that this was a real robot travelling through a real environment. It has been noted, though, that Stanton's Christian faith did have an impact on Wally, with Eve being named after the biblical figure and referencing the dove with the olive branch from Noah's Ark, with Eve delivering the plant. Because as we all know, the olive branch from Noah's Ark is a clear sign that humanity can return from its voyage. Also returning from his voyage is Keanu Reeves and the obligatory Keanu reference, which is a part of the podcast where I try and make the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And it's always really difficult with animated movies because he's not been in that many of them. And I've obviously done an episode on Toy Story 4 and I have used the reference from Toy Story 4 before, so I can't really use that again. But just like Wally, who is a robot with few words, John Wick is also a man of few words. And he prefers to let his fists and various weapons do the talking, which is also a bit like Wally, who loves to express using his hands, except he tends to hold hands, whereas John Wick just doesn't, unless he breaks the person's wrist while he's doing it. I don't know. But that is the best and easiest way to link this movie to Keanu Reeves. I've already talked quite a lot about the music from Hello Dolly, but we have to talk about Thomas Newman and... Andrew Stanton had worked with Thomas Newman on Finding Nemo for the score. And when they were at the Academy Awards together, Stanton told Newman about his new project, Wally, and Newman not only wanted in, but also had a familial connection because his uncle, Lionel Newman, was the guy who composed the score for Hello, Dolly. It's like the most remarkable turn of fate. They also collaborated with multiple Grammy Award winning icon, Peter Gabriel, for the theme song Down to Earth, and both Stanton and Newman were huge fans of the rock and roll legend. Thomas Newman and Peter Gabriel went on to win two Grammy Awards for Down to Earth and Define Dancing. So Wally premiered on the 23rd of June 2008 at the Greek Theatre in Los Angeles and was released wide on the 27th of June 2008, the same week as the movies Wanted and Hancock, but it beat both of those to the number one spot at the US box office. Hancock would leapfrog over it in its second week, leaving Wally at second. And then in its fourth week of release, the behemoths of The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia came out. And I spoke about those in the recent episode on Mamma Mia. That is the biggest episode of 2023. Can you believe it? That is episode 230 of this podcast. What can I say? People love Mamma Mia. 
For its release, animatronic Wallys were built by Walt Disney Imagineering. That's for the movie Wally, not the movie Mamma Mia, just FYI. The animatronic made appearances at Disneyland Resort, the Franklin Institute, the Miami Science Museum, the Seattle Center and the Tokyo International Film Festival. But due to safety concerns, no meet and greets were allowed and nor were photographs. This was because the animatronics, although strictly controlled, were 318 kilograms in weight and they could easily accidentally run over a child's foot. The animatronic made future appearances at the 2009 D23 Expo and is occasionally spotted during tours of the Walt Disney Imagineering Campus in Glendale, California. But otherwise, he seems to be somewhere compacting rubbish into cubes because no one knows where he is. In fact, unlike other big Pixar hits like Cars and The Incredibles, Wally is barely featured in merchandise, and in the Disney parks, there is a brief mention in World Discovery of Wally and Eve, but that's about it. There's no space rides, nothing at Epcot, no Wall A compacting groups of children into cubes, just the section in the car park. And it seems like a bit of a wasted opportunity for merchandising and toys. However, you could also argue that maybe Disney see this movie as a cautionary tale about waste. And maybe it makes sense that Wally toys are not appearing in landfill. On its $180 million budget, a record for an animated movie at the time, it went on to gross $223.8 million domestically in the US and $297.5 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $521.3 million. It's also seen as one of the best films of 2008, with critics hailing it and the American Film Institute jury also lauding it for its themes, its animation, its voice acting and its message. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing, and would go on to win Best Animated Feature. It was also nominated for seven Annie Awards, winning none, losing Best Animated Feature to Kung Fu Panda. And there was a slight controversy about that, because Kung Fu Panda swept the board that year, and many felt the result had been rigged in DreamWorks' favour with DreamWorks at the time giving each of their employees a free membership to ASIFA Hollywood, which in turn conferred voting rights for the awards. Consequently, Walt Disney Studios made the decision to stop their two animated film divisions, Walt Disney Animation Studios and Pixar, from submitting entries and supporting the 2010 Annie Awards. Disney's complaints prompted ASIFA Hollywood to modify the individual achievement category voting guidelines limiting participation to professionals in those categories. Disney and Pixar rejoined the Annie Awards in 2011 with an almost exact repeat of the scenario with How to Train Your Dragon sweeping the Annie Awards over Pixar's Toy Story 3. But that is a story for a future podcast. Wally would win the BAFTA and Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature though, so it didn't go without. Out of the 78 nominations it received, it won 43. There is a pseudo-sequel called Bernie, a 2008 short film tied into and included with the DVD and Blu-ray of Wally. Bernie is a minor character from the movie and the short is intercut with scenes from Wally, which takes place concurrently. Andrew Stanton co-wrote and executively produced the short, which was produced at the same time as Wally and directed by the feature film's lead animator, Angus McLean. There are no remakes, obviously, except for a remake of Wally himself. 
Members of the Wally Builders Club on Yahoo have been building scale replicas of the character since the movie's release, the most famous being built by California farmer Mike McMaster, whose life-size remote control Wally was interviewed recently by Tested.com and featured as part of YouTube's first annual Geek Week in 2013. He and his fellow builders used a combination of screenshot images, movie posters and Blu-ray still shots to gather an accurate portrait of the animated character. Builders Club members then used other objects in the movie to help determine the proper dimensions for the robot by looking at how big Wally's hands were in relation to a VHS tape or a Rubik's Cube. McMaster and fellow builder Mike Senna created all of Wally's parts from scratch, including custom track drive wheels, and it actually has more movements than Disney's Imagineering animatronic did. Senna's version of the character has made appearances at California summer camps and to Orange County's Children's Hospital. Everything about Wally is unique from the beginning. It's so much more than just a movie for children with a cute protagonist. It is a movie that examines the effects of consumerism, environmentalism, human and corporate greed and neglect. With humans no longer able to live on Earth and travelling on the Axiom, every aspect of human existence has been taken over by the megacorporation known as By and Large. The whole scenario is apocalyptic, but also sentimental and creative. It shows us a future we simply could not want for our children or our children's children, but we will if we carry on the path we're currently following. Andrew Stanton may not have intended to make an environmentalist parable or a political message, but he did. And it makes Wally one of Pixar's most important films. A cautionary tale of consumerism and corporate greed and humanity's greed and inability to actually do anything to help the planet we once called home. Let's just let the robots fix it for us. Wally relies heavily on visual storytelling over excess dialogue or heavy exposition, which is part of the reason why the story is so timeless. With his routines, trinket collection and a desire to hold another robot's hand, the animation is some of the most gorgeous that Pixar have ever achieved. And the physical and visual humour calls back to the oldest form of cinematic storytelling, silent movies. Wally appears to just be another enjoyable Pixar movie, telling a fairly straightforward tale of a romance between the film's titular trash compactor and a sophisticated robot that he meets. But it also conveys a clear message about the potentially catastrophic impact of climate change and issues a warning about the real threat posed by artificial intelligence the lack of human autonomy and the rise of all-powerful corporations. In this world, human-to-human -human contact has been all but destroyed because everyone has become programmed to spend their days looking at the same virtual screens. Just like during COVID, these humans are constantly hammered by 24-7 ads for by-and-large products, the same beggar corporation that's been feeding them, housing them and watching them waste away for over 700 years. AI teachers use by and large products to teach its children the alphabet. Corporate branding and advertising are a part of the human race's survival. The ship's captain isn't really the captain. He's just a vessel by which the ship appears to be captained by a human, controlling the narrative by the corporate entity that all is well. Every human aboard the Axiom has conceded their lives to the AI, including the captain to his autopilot. Wally is a stark warning about the potential course humanity could take if we become overly dependent on something like AI. Technology can take humankind to new heights when used responsibly, but if we become dependent on robots and artificial intelligence, we run the risk of losing all of that personal autonomy. 
Worse yet, we run the risk of severing the physical and emotional ties that support humanity's survival. In a fictional world where the billionaire owner of, by and large, becomes president of the world seems implausible, but in the real world where real billionaire owners gain more and more control over people's minds and wallets, is yet another stark warning for our future. Maybe trusting billionaires with humanity's best interests is not the way forward. Maybe trusting billionaires with anything is not the way forward. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Wally. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please get involved. Please help this podcast grow. This podcast really needs your support in 2024. I would be so grateful if you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. Telling your friends and family about this podcast or alternatively, you can find me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd. And if you find a post on there from me, you could like it, you could repost it. And that would seriously help as well. So the next episode, I've actually already mentioned it in this episode and the controversy surrounding the Annie Awards in 2011 and what that meant for Toy Story 3 versus How to Train Your Dragon. Now, I have done an episode on Toy Story 3 already, so I'm not going to be revisiting that one, but I am going to be talking about the history and legacy of DreamWorks' How to Train Your Dragon in the next episode. This is, again, a movie that has been requested several times by listeners of the podcast. And it seems like a bit of an underrated gem in the way that so many people love How to Train Your Dragon. And I'm so excited to be talking about the history and legacy of How to Train Your Dragon next week. So please come back next week for that episode. And as always, this podcast is free and it always will be free. But if you do have some spare money after Christmas to help a podcast, then why not consider helping this podcast out? You could give a one-off tip at verbaldiorama.com slash tips, or you could sign up for the Patreon at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And as always, thank you to the amazing patrons of this podcast. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Stu, Brett, Philip, Michelle, and a huge welcome and hello in 2024 to brand new patron, Zenos. I don't know he's been listening for a while and I've spoken to him several times in the past about certain episodes that he's enjoyed and I'm so grateful to him for his continued support of this podcast, both audibly and financially. So huge thank you, Zenos. Thank you for joining the Patreon and thank you to all of the patrons. As always, your support is so valuable to this podcast, especially when my hosting renews next month and I need to pay for that. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, you can email me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi, you can give me some feedback, or you could maybe leave a suggestion. And you can also do so at verbaldiorama.com as well. You can also find my work at filmstories.co.uk. You can find copies of the magazine that I write for and articles, a couple of which are also written by me as well. And finally...
Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need? Exactly. Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans yeah, has no power, power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>